Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is the rise of exosuits with my friend Mark Harris. Mark is the CEO of a company called HeroWare, and they make exosuits. Exosuits are those wearable devices designed to enhance physical abilities and reduce strain, usually back strain. Mark and his team over at HeroWare make comfortable, reliable, effective protection for working men and women in various industries such as warehousing, manufacturing, and construction. Mark is a very interesting guy. He started multiple companies, and I love what they're doing at HeroWare. So stick around and check out my interview with Mark Harris. But before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about my friends over at Port X Logistics. Port X Logistics is an asset-based transportation company, and they specialize in containerized freight. So if you're having trouble moving your cargo out of the port, very common problem, then reach out to my friends over at PortX Logistics, and their website is portxlogistics.com. They're experienced, and they offer service at every single port and every single rail ramp in the United States and Canada. They have a, an approach that is guided by their four pillars, which is culture, service, tech, and trucks. Again, check them out over at portxlogistics.com. So how's it going, Mark Harris? Hey, I'm doing great, Joe. I'm very excited to talk to you about this topic. What is an exosuit before we even introduce you? <laughs> <laughs> so an exosuit is uh, basically a wearable technology that helps to take some of the load off the bones, joints, uh, muscles, and tendons of the body. There's a variety of types of exosuits that could be applied across basically any joint. But for us, we focus on taking the load off the low backs of workers. All right. I got it. Got it. I, I'm just keep, keep thinking people are going to click on this and go, what the hell is an exosuit? What is Joe doing? <laughs> anyway, Mark, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Great. Yeah, I'm Mark Harris. I'm one of the co-founders and the CEO of HeroWare, and we are based in Nashville, Tennessee. And that's Hero, like H-E-R-O, and then where? W-E-A-R. And the idea being you sell exosuits. <laughs> Yes, yes. And uh, the way we think about it is we're specifically designing and manufacturing exosuits for industrial workers and to take the load off the backs of those workers. So for us, the real heroes of our economy here in America are these industrial workers. They're the backbone of our economy. They're how we get boxes you know, on our uh, store shelves all across the country. And within, without them, we wouldn't be able to move these goods. And so we want to empower them. We want to reduce uh, safety risks that are associated with their jobs and help them to live fulfilling lives. And so hence, uh, HeroWare, they're the heroes in right. our story. And Mark, before we hit record, we were having this conversation about logistics in general. And I think anyone who listens to my podcast has heard me say this, is we listening, pe people like me who talk to people like you, we talk about technology and all this cool tech and automation and business intelligence. And every once in a while, it's easy to forget that there's truck drivers and port workers and warehouse workers and a million final mile people who 
we're really, we, they're the foundation of this business. We work, <laughs> we were kind of standing on their shoulders and we have to do a better job. We all know we have to do a better job with truck drivers. That's a very difficult job in some cases, but we don't talk enough, in, except we do here on my podcast, we don't talk enough about warehouse workers. Nobody wants to go do that work anymore because it's very hard. Yeah, it's it's extremely difficult work. So we, we deal a lot with uh, all kinds of, of case pickers are kind of our bread and butter right now. And so generally we're seeing people who are picking, you know, call it 150 to 200 cases, uh, 150 to 200 picks per hour, 10 hour shifts, and often pretty heavyweight stuff. So we've got people, you know, picking that much uh, 50 pound dog food bags every day. And it just takes a load on the body. And so, uh, you know, at the end of the day, they are, they're worn down. There's a lot of muscle damage uh, that's done throughout that day. You know, they go home, try to get a good night's sleep. But what we hear time and time again is, yeah, I get home and I just collapse on the couch. Um, I'm absolutely exhausted and I get to network the next day. I'm still tired from the day before. And so we see a lot of our clients have 100% plus turnover on these jobs because to your point, people come in, they work that first few weeks and they say, man, this is this is tough. I don't know if I can last. Yeah. Uh, later on, after I'm done with my podcast today, I will go over to the gym and I will lift weights for, for I don't know, half an hour. Then I'll jump on the treadmill for, I don't know, 20 minutes, half an hour. And that'll be enough for me. Those guys and gals are doing that job eight hours. And by the way, beyond the physical exhaustion part, I'm from an automotive background. We learned a long time ago, you were going to pay workman's comp claims to these people. You're going to physically injure. And by the way, I did some lean, lean uh, workshops. A lot of that lean workshops where you, and we would have what we had like a balanced scorecard. So the number one thing on anybody's list was safety. And safety comes in a lot of different flavors. Of course, we know we don't want, you know, machines that can hurt people. But bending over and picking up a 50-pound bag all day long is a safety problem. You can't, you can't have quality if you don't have safety. You can't have good morale if you don't have safety. You can't have good costs if you don't have safety. It all begins with safety. And that's safety of these workers is at risk. Because, and by the way, it's not, not like everybody's in the warehouse business says, I don't care about my workers. I know they do, but there haven't been a lot of solutions until HeroWare came along. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So that's what, when we look at sort of the, the history of this type of technology and like where the risks came in, the risks actually began at like the dawn of humanity. So you think about when we, when we rose up and started walking on two legs, now, all of a sudden, just the biomechanics of how you lift things, you're leaning over, you know, to do everything from starting a fire to lifting up heavy objects. And it puts a huge amount of strain on the back. So the quick way to think about it is if I lay out a 50 pound dog food bag up here, what's keeping me from pitching over onto my face is my back muscles are pulling on my spine with about five to 10 X the force of whatever the weight is in front of me. So you're talking 250 to 500 pounds of force from my own muscles onto my spine to keep me upright. And every time that happens, you've got little micro damage that starts to build up over time. And if you're doing it 10 hours a day, 
um, what's going to end up happening is you're going to have increasing muscle damage week over week, and eventually that's going to lead to a catastrophic injury. And that's why you see um, that strains and sprains are one of the leading causes of musculoskeletal disorders. You know, 80% of people will have back injuries over the course of their lifetime. It's just pervasive. And so folks have looked at some type of a external wearable device to try to offload the low back for over a hundred years. And we've got, you know, patents going back for like cotton pickers back to like the late 1800s. I saw those. You sent me those. It was pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. So, so the concept of, hey, let's, let's attach something to the body that that can uh, act like artificial back muscles has been around for a really long time. The challenge has been how you do it in a way that actually works for the workers. And so what we have sort of seen over the decades has been things have gotten sort of big, bulky, awkward in the sort of 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. They had big motorized powered devices to try to offload the back as well. And what we've just seen is they've been soundly rejected by the workers because the work in those warehouses is just too fast and it's too dynamic. And so what we've done a little differently as Hero Wear is we've come at it from the perspective of first and foremost, you have to get out of the way of the worker. You have to be able to apply assistance, but you can't slow them down. You can't get in their way and they got to be able to hop on their forklift, et cetera. And if you can't do that, it's a full stop. So that's what's been holding back the industry that we're trying to um, unleash. So these are suits. Now, how much does it weigh if I put that on? How long does it take me to put it on? Two and a half pounds, and you can throw it on in 20 to 30 seconds. And this makes me basically Clark Kent. <laughs> <laughs> so we always tell people it doesn't- He's as strong as Superman, stronger. by the way. I don't know if you know it, that. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> It doesn't make you stronger, but it adds to your endurance. So basically it offloads about 20 to 40% of the load off the low back every time you lift. So the way, the way our technology works is basically it goes on like a, like a very small or empty backpack. Um, then you attach two leg loops um, to the upper thighs. And then in between the two along the spine is basically a thick rubber band. So when you lean forward or you go down into a squat, it Which stretches makes it easier. that band and it just, it offloads your back muscles by about 20 to 40%. Is that your main product for the back? I mean, are you guys developing other stuff too? Yeah, no, we're definitely deep. Uh, R&D is deeply ingrained uh, in us. So my co-founders are actually the inventors of this technology. Um, it was originally developed at Vanderbilt University and then we spun it out um, and started working within industrial settings. Because before we talked, I thought would be fun to have the title be Cyborgs for Warehouse. <laughs> he said, <laughs> not quite, not yet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Because one, one of the things we found early on is like that clients didn't want motors and batteries. They So our, we don't have any motors or any batteries. I wouldn't, want, I wouldn't want that either. If, I've, if I'm putting something on me, it, it's got to heat up and all the rest of the stuff. It's uh, Yeah, I want something real... Lightweight, to your point. Elegantly simple, as we, we like to say around here. But yeah, our initial product uh, was called the Apex. And that was, you know, two and a half pound device. You just throw it on and you use it throughout the day. We found logistics applications were really solid, as well as 
uh, manufacturing. So we were talking a little bit earlier about automotive. So everything from sort of parts distribution all the way to working on the assembly line. So you think about people that are leaning into car chassis. And there's a lot of percentage of their time of the day is in sustained leaning tasks. So we found good applications there too. And then we've also done development uh, with the Department of Defense, uh, specifically the U.S. Army, to, they basically approached us, saw our commercial product, said, hey, can you make a version like this for our warfighters um, and specifically artillery battalions? Um, so we do have a second uh, DOD-specific product in that area. Yep. We'll, we'll come back to all this, but tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you got to, to HeroWare. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in uh, New York, uh, Pennsylvania, spent some time over in London, England, and then came to uh, to Nashville for, for Vanderbilt and then just kind of never left. So I was a pure scientist initially. I like to say these days I'm a, I'm a reformed scientist, but I uh, went through and did about half, uh, half of my dissertation research. Um, I was a, a cancer researcher and I realized I was more of a business guy at heart. So I... Uh, I got inspired by uh, Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week uh, book and decided to start my first business just nights and weekends. I'm a big endurance sports athlete, and so I started a triathlon training a DVD company and just fell oh, wow. in love with entrepreneurship. That was never going to be my day job, but I learned a ton. Ended up selling off my inventory there, and then I went into uh, business school, uh, also at Vanderbilt. And uh, then worked in the genetic testing industry. And that's where I got my next idea for a business. So I came back to Nashville from the East Coast with the idea of creating a, a market maker within genetics. I sort of saw the explosion that was coming. And so what we started doing was capturing data around all the genetic tests that were out there in the market and creating data and analytics services for health plans, hospital systems, uh, laboratories, and pharmaceutical companies. So it was a pure healthcare IT that's called Concert Genetics. And that company has been growing extremely well. We hit, you know, 20, uh, back in 2015, 2016, you know, large company maker deal. I brought on an experienced business partner to help me grow that. And he and I worked side by side for about two and a half years and kind of looked in the mirror one day and said, man, it doesn't need me anymore. This is, this is great. I'm going to go do another one. So I remain really tight with that, with that group. But uh, that gave me the freedom to start looking around for my next business. And that's where uh, I found HeroWare and uh, what those guys were, were trying to do. And so joined the team to help them commercialize and spin the technology out and build a product around. Right. I live near the University of Michigan and pretty close to Michigan State. And one of the things I know has been more of a focus in recent years, last decade or so, is taking some of that basic research and getting it applied. And that's... The universities are great at research, obviously, and they got a lot of cheap labor there, right? But <laughs> smart young labor. And but University of Michigan, I think in particular, they, they had more, I think the only university that had more research than them was John Hopkins, except none of it was getting, to your point, spun off. None of it was creating businesses. So they're like, hey, we have to do something different here. We have to figure out how to take it from the lab, get it out so it's helping people whether it be, you know, drugs or manufacturing or whatever it might be. So I love universities doing that. I told you before we hit record, I feel like I could go to virtually any big state university, like my beloved Wolverines or the Spartans and say, 
one third of those offices are going to be businesses. <laughs> one third of you get out. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> and in exchange for the cheap uh, rent, you, you got to hire a whole bunch of these kids, get them some work experience. But I feel like we, we can do this now. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's something I'm really passionate about as well. Having spent as much time as I, I did in the lab is trying to help them get over that chasm yeah. and commercialize the technology. So, so I sit on the advisory board for, for Vanderbilt technology transfer. And one of the things that I've been trying to do with that group is finding ways to, you know, how do you go and triage the best ideas and then line them up with experienced executives and operators and find that match so that you can start to spin these off and they're going to have a much higher chance of success. Yeah. And you look around now, there's virtually every university has, has uh, these success stories. You know, the internet was created over, I think it was University of Illinois, University of Indiana, where Mark Andreessen was at. I mean, they created Netscape there. And we never think of these things when they were small, we only hear about them after they're big and successful, <laughs> but so much, and I know my University of Michigan was real active in the internet when it was still still small, and we need we need more of that. So I love what you guys are doing. Anyway, let's switch gears and talk about this exosuit. By the way, every time I say exosuit, I keep thinking ectoskeleton. Exoskeleton. I think that's like what ants have, right? They have that exoskeleton. It's <laughs> on the outside, but it it's a skeleton, but it's kind of for them. It's on the outside. Yeah, yeah. And so that's where that's where the term kind of took off from. So the original ways that they were trying to create these wearable devices that would that would offload the muscles were based on rigid systems that you would wear on the outside of your body. And so, you know, if you think about Aliens 2 or Edge of Tomorrow or, you know, Iron Man or any of these sort of Hollywood visions of of an exoskeleton, that's what you think of. You think of this big bulky super powered device. And that's where this started. But the challenge is like, it just doesn't work in industrial environments. And so, yes, you can, you can build a device that lets you lift 200 pounds and it only feels like two pounds, but you can't really walk around in it. You know, it can't move fast enough. It's dangerous for people around you. There's all these practical limitations. And so the direction the field has started to go is towards more lightweight and actually textile-based exosuits. So really just when we launched right around 2019 was when they started to break into this area of let's leverage, you know, technology, you know, backpack technology and, you know, elastomers or flexible rods, et cetera, to do the same thing, but in a much lower cost manner and something that would be more likely to be adopted by the workers yeah. themselves. I think I, we all know what a bulletproof vest is, but I've heard that the military has some stuff now that is basically like a the thickness of a shirt that still has that still has uh, the ability to stop a bullet or whatever else they're getting hit with, and it speaks to the need for better and better materials. And I'm sure we we're working on all that still too, but as we get better and better materials, ideally we can start bringing those to the, to these warehouse jobs, because again, we touched on earlier, we have a labor shortage and that's going to only get worse as the baby boomers retire. And also on top of there being a later labor shortage, we're getting wealthier and wealthier. Forget what Washington tells us. We live much better than our parents or grandparents. And 
I asked you before we hit record, you have two sons. Are you raising them to go work in a warehouse? You probably say it'd be great if they worked in a warehouse for the summer, maybe even a couple summers, get some good work experience, learn how to work a, a, a hard day work. But that's not what we want for our kids usually. And normally if somebody's working in a warehouse, they're like, I'm doing it while I look for something better because I know I can't do this for 30 years. There's nobody retiring from warehouse work. Yeah, no, it's it's super challenging. I think a lot of it too just has to do where where are you locating these? Because you know, a lot of where do you put a warehouse is where can you get the cheapest square footage, right? That's along a highway or railroad tracks. And so by necessity, you're not necessarily in the big city. You know, you're out along the highway in smaller towns. And unfortunately, there's just less options for work for people that live in those areas. That's traditionally been true, but we want same day, next day. Now, I will say same day is still kind of rare. Most people don't want or need it, but we do have next day. That is continuing to grow. And that means warehouses are going to go in cities. They're going to go, by the way, the perfect place for your warehouse and for many companies is where the mall was. The mall that got built in the 70s and 80s, <laughs> as that closes down, those are becoming warehouses because those typically are near populations. They're also near highways. They're also close to rail. They're usually close to air. Ideally, it'd be close to a port. But we're going to have these micro-fulfillment locations in the cities. And again, it's still, it doesn't matter if you're in the country or the city, nobody wants to do that job. <laughs> it's yeah, hard. Yeah, and it's, and it comes back to, I mean, all of this is, you know, feeds into the labor shortage issue right now, which is absolutely sort of number one concern with the clients that we work with. It's, you know, how do I recruit them in a cost-effective way? Then how do I retain them? And especially we hear a lot, like it's that first two to three months you kind of have to get over to sort of get somebody's body built up to really be strong enough to sustain the long-term there. And then how do you keep them healthy? How do you keep them from getting an injury? And in addition to that, if you're still having trouble recruiting their buddies, like, how, can we look at productivity? Are there ways to get more out of the workers we have? Right. When I, I worked in automotive and I said in the 80s, when I started working, you would see people doing very difficult jobs in assembly plants. And that's just the assembly plants, the tier twos and the tier threes, tier ones, tier twos and tier threes. Also, a lot of hard work going on there, probably harder work in many cases. But during my career in automotive, I noticed those that we got really good about getting the, the assembly plants to be much more automated and trying to, people are still working hard in those, but they are not, they are not sweating the days away. Typically they are not, well, sometimes they are, but it's not, it's not nearly as taxing physically as it once was. And what we realized was there used to be injuries because, A, that this guy got his hand uh, caught in this machine or whatever. Those We ended up with safety things that eliminated that. But what we started to observe is this guy is crouching all day. He's not going to get hurt today or tomorrow. But over the next decade, he's going to get hurt. And so we started rotating people to different jobs. By the way, a lot of times assembly plant workers would say, no, I don't want to rotate. They were rotated because... We can't have repetitive use injuries happening here. And then we, but also we'd have these things where Mark, Mark's an athlete. And he can reach up and they grab something off that shelf, but the next person he hires might be 
five inches shorter than Mark and not as strong as Mark. And we started trying to get it to a place where everybody can do this job because we can't have it. Well, we'll just have a really strong guy do this job. That's not a good approach. We got to use the tech that's out there. And I think that same mentality that we had with automotive was easy because we're building one product is harder to, to develop for the warehouse because we got all sorts of different products. It's hard to automate something that is so diverse. Yeah, no, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I think the, the consistent, if you can automate how, if you can engineer a control to improve safety, to improve throughput, like absolutely you should. And automotive definitely leads the way there. Right. The, the challenge I think generally with these warehouses are you have a, a mix of SKUs, your, your volume is changing, you know, day to day, even hour to hour, you know, what do you need to ship to this particular location versus that location? And it's just, it's, it's different size boxes, different weights. So how do you possibly automate it? And if you automate it today for what you know now, like, do you have to go and change all that automation the next day? And so that's something we've seen as automation has been coming along is like that ability to try to leverage like the, the piece that people do really well, which is being able to pick up boxes in different shapes and sizes and, you know, grab the right number of them is still tricky for, uh, for machines to do, but people are really good at it. So a lot of the automation that's coming out now is around how do I reduce the amount of time it takes for that human to get from point A to point B. So things like you see, you know, Locus Robotics, where people used to walk around with a cart and they used to walk, you know, 13 miles a day. Now those robots are coming to that person so that they can pick. And we see that now with some of the larger um, AMRs moving whole pallets to the workers. What's an AMR? The uh, autonomous uh, mobile robots. And so those are like a forklift, basically it's automated. It'll grab the pallet you need, it'll drive it, and they'll basically line up in front of the worker who's got to pick, you know, these three pounds of dog food and this two packs of kitty litter or whatever that may be. So now they're not riding on a pallet jack, they're standing still. The, the sort of unintended consequence there, though, is now you're increasing the pick rate of that person. And so what ends up happening, and we've seen this happen with, with several clients, and also there's been some large stuff in the press with really large organizations in the space, is a skyrocketing of musculoskeletal injuries that are repetitive use injuries because now that person's picking three or four X as much and they don't have the rest time in between. So we've been finding an interesting opportunity where our technology can be a risk mitigator for people who are bringing in automation. Right. And, and, you know, we're going to also get to a place where I, I think it's already happening. I interview a lot of warehousing people, by the way, you were introduced to me by Dusty Holcomb, who was on my podcast, and he's over at Red Stag Fulfillment. Red Stag Fulfillment does big, bulky, small parcels. It, and when I asked him about automation, he said, and he always talks about the herd. They call the team the herd over <laughs> at Red Stag Fulfillment. He said, we would love to have the right automation for the herd, but they have big, bulky stuff that they're shipping. So it, it's not the same as a lot of times I have people on my podcast. No, no hate here at all. 
but they'll say, oh, we really, we like to move small stuff. We've cosmetics, stuff like that. Now that has to be temperature controlled a lot of times, but yeah, that's really nice. Cause I can get the, I can get the weakest person can easily grab that. When you start big and bulky, it doesn't lend itself to the automation. Yep. And that is a lot of the focus that we see because you're going to have higher injury rates. You're going to have higher turnover for those tougher jobs. And so we see really high adoption with users who are picking heavy things because they can immediately yes. tell that difference. You know, I'm going down to the squat, man, it feels like somebody's kind of helping me pop back out of that squat and lift that. Mark, this reminds me many years ago, probably like in the nineties, I was an engineer and I went down to Honda automotive manufacturing ham, by the way, my first idiot move on the way down from Detroit, I saw all these horse and buggies and I thought it was like, a tourist town. I didn't realize how many Amish lived down there. So I kept saying, wow, there's a lot of stagecoaches and horse and buggies here. And I thought, I was just about to say something to someone like, hey, and that's kind of, this really must be a tourist area. But while I was there, I was working on the assembly line all day on a quality problem that we had. And this robot was going back and forth behind us all day long, back and forth. It was carrying something. I don't even know what it, but it wasn't for us. And it was, had this little song it was singing, like this electronic song that it was singing. And I was like, God, it's driving me crazy. What, what is that noise that, why is that making that music? And uh, some of the line workers said, uh, I guess like the Japanese engineers believe that the robots will be happier if they can sing while they work. And I was like, and I laughed and go, no, no, that's, that's the truth. They believe that. And I was like, Oh, I'm sure. I'm not, no, no shame. My Japanese are the greatest technologists. They're fantastic. But I was like, really? I was like, well, I'm going to kill that robot by the end of the day. <laughs> and it won't sing. It's, it's pretty happy wild. Song. If, you go, <laughs> if you go check out the, uh, the Toyota production line is, is amazing. And that's one of the things that's wild. You go into those facilities, um, spend a good amount of time up near uh, Georgetown, Kentucky. They've mm-hmm. got a big plant up there. But every one of the autonomous robots that's zipping around has its own music. So its own sound. And I, you know, the way it was conveyed to me was much more a safety thing. Like you can hear them coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can I, recognize them, but I it's, it's still based. They could have been playing. They said up. the programmers get to pick, and so sometimes you get something going by with like heavy metal. It's it's hilarious. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if some some uh, robotic engineer was lying to the ham guys, but <laughs> it'd be a pretty fun joke. But anyway, I want to take a quick time out to tell you about my friends over at Lean Solutions Group. Lean Solutions is a nearshore offshore service provider, and they provide a range of services, including operation, technology, marketing, sales, and business process outsourcing. They work with over 500 U.S. transportation and logistics companies. And what they have is this model where they have satellite offices down in Colombia, Guatemala, Mexico, and the Philippines. And their their approach is real low cost, low risk, low hassle. They have 9,000 employees now. They're one of the fastest growing companies in America. And again, Everybody I know seems to be working with them. But if you're not working with them, check them out. Lean Group, L-E-A-N group.com. And by the way, my podcast is edited by someone from Lean, Lean Solutions Group. They're a fantastic company. I just did an interview with Ryan Mann. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Check them out. So one of the challenges we have with our warehouses is 
they have different stuff in them. So when somebody says, I opened a warehousing and fulfillment business, let's say you and I, Mark, opened one down in Nashville. We open up this wonderful warehouse. Somebody says, well, what are you guys going to do? Well, we're going to, we're going to move. We're going to be a fulfillment house. And then somebody calls us. We say, yes, whatever they say. Hey, I I sell pens. Yes. We'll move your pens. How about, how about uh, gaming systems? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Gaming systems. How about heavier stuff? We say yes to everything, whether they're small, whether the product's big, whether the product's small, whether the customer's big, we end up with a hodgepodge. And on one of the things that comes up a lot on my podcast now is warehousing and fulfillment companies are realizing not everybody's a good fit. And we've had a lot of growth in this space with e-commerce and a lot of these warehousing and fulfillment people said yes to everybody. And now they're finding smaller customers might not be a good fit. Bigger customers might not be a good fit. Certain products aren't a good fit. And so I think we're going to start seeing more and more niche niche where we say we do blank we we will ship this but not this we can help you if you do this this and this but not that and i think we're going to have to get there because some companies are going to have to have the ectoskeletons because of the product they move all day long yeah i i agree more and more specialization and for us too it's honing in on like what are those optimal optimal use cases and yeah heavy high reps and heavyweight is definitely sort of the slam dunk for us. But what's been interesting is we've been finding more, especially on the manufacturing side, that sustained leaning tasks have been uh, more and more interesting opportunities that have been popping up where people are, are leaning over a workbench or yes. conveyor to conveyor type of moves. And then you look, you know, more broadly, we're definitely looking down the road at applications. You know, we, we already work, do some defense work, but you look at construction applications, healthcare applications, the list kind of goes on and on, even, you know, last mile delivery, et cetera. But we're trying to keep our focus as well and keep uh, fairly tightly specialized to, uh, to the back and initial use cases uh, for uh, those logistics workers. I, when I was, a, I worked on a CAD system designing automotive parts. And I remember I used a light pen, which is, was an alternative to a mouse. So I used this light pen and you click it all day long. You're clicking it and you're sitting at your desk and you're designing these parts. And I got this horrible pain in my back, like by my shoulder blade, on my clicking hand. By the way, that's not a heavy part. <laughs> I'm just doing it 10 hours a day, 50 hours a week. I would take days off of work. It's the wimpiest thing I think I can ever say. It's thing can't weigh a pound, right? It's this itty bitty little thing, but you're clicking it all day. And I mentioned it to a friend of mine who worked on the Chicago Board of Options. He had his hand up in the areas in the pits. And he goes, oh my God, everybody in the pits has a problem because you got your arm up in the air all day, waving a piece of paper. <laughs> so these repetitive use injuries are happen even at very low weights. That's not a back problem. Back problems are worse. So we wanted to hit a few points. We already talked kind of the past, present, and future of this material handling. It is a problem, no doubt about it. But you said, you right now are telling me, these are practical. This is something we're doing right now. You have a lot of customers already, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've got a lot of those are under NDA, but some of the groups that have spoken about us publicly, I mentioned, you know, Toyota, DHL, General Motors. These are big dogs. Military. Yeah, yeah. We've got several hundred 
paying clients. And many, many of those are, are Fortune 500 companies that you've definitely heard of. The Our main focus has been initially B2B to large enterprise clients. But over the last year, we've gotten a lot of interest to, from small to mid-sized businesses as well. And we're starting to see some good success in those areas too. So I would think this is injury avoidance. And it's always hard to sell something on avoidance because you say, we will save you money on absenteeism, on turnover, on workman comp claims. How are you able to kind of prove that this is a better deal? Great, great question. So there's three real value props, and it kind of depends what a client's primary focus is on. So first, yeah, first and foremost is reducing the sprains and strains. You know, your average back injury is 40 grand. So, you know, it's, we have, you know, clients who are like, man, I can outfit, you know, my workforce for the cost of, you know, just an injury or two a year. Cause you also have ones that are, you know, multi-million dollar settlements when you're talking disability claims and things like that. So that's first and foremost. Well, and your insurance price goes, your, your workman's comp rates go higher. I got to think the workman comp insurance people are going, hold up. That's a warehouse. What are you guys doing? Yep. Yep. And we work with a number of those workman, workers' comp groups as well. And the, uh, the second piece is employee retention. So again, if it's taken me, you know, I'm losing people really early on because the job's too hard. Like, hey, if I can introduce a technology that makes the job a bit easier and workers tell us, so we do these, these sort of six to eight week field studies with clients. We've done this with dozens of clients. We capture, you know, data along the way on their workers. So all worker reported data and workers tell us work is 30% easier with, wow. with uh, the, with the apex. So, and they're seeing 40% reduction in pain and that's including like low back, upper back, I mean, knees, reduction in hip pain. I mean, it's across the whole posterior chain. If I wanted to use this, let's just say I buy that suit. Is there any training for using it? Or I just, I just put it on and start using it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty simple. The one thing that makes that complicated now is just the fact that the technology is new, right? It's not, it's not normalized. So so Joe, you know, if I'm going to hand you a pair of shoes, you've been putting <laughs> shoes on pretty much since you've been a small child. You know how to put them on. You know if it fits or not. You know how to tie it. If I was to hand you an exosuit, you'd say, huh, you know, I, you might, you know, you could probably figure out how to throw it on. It's not that hard, but do you know if it fits you properly? Are the thigh sleeves too tight or too loose? You know, do you have the right strength bands? Like we, we have to get up a little further on our technology adoption curve until this stuff is really normalized and people are comfortable. So today what we do is we've got a customer success team of implementation specialists and we go on site with our clients and we help them through those initial, those initial phases. So I know you're going to save me money on health claims and all this, but is this a huge investment when I say I'm going to give these exosuits to 30% of the people in my warehouse? It's not, it's not a huge investment. So you're talking at that kind of scale, you know, you're talking about $1,100 per unit for each worker. Nice. So the ROI is pretty, pretty simple here. Getting more productivity from them? Yeah. So that's, we're digging into that deeply now. So we have uh, several clients who have kind of anecdotally been sending us some information on that. And we're seeing, you know, nine to 12% productivity increases 
Now, the caveat there is obviously that depends on your systems, your process. Is that person the bottleneck or is there a bottleneck somewhere else? But, you know, you imagine you've got a worker who hurts 40% less and they feel the job's 30% easier. Usually you'll see pick rates will kind of pick up over the first hour or so of the shift till they're kind of warmed up. They'll get to 100%. And then the last two to three hours, you get a dip in productivity, usually down to about 70%. And so a lot of what we're doing now is we're doing these productivity studies with clients to show we expect that 100% pick rate to stay up higher longer because the workers just feel fresher and they feel better. So it is very normal when we go live with a client that first week and often even the first few days, we've got workers saying, man, I went home and I'm not sore anymore. Like, you know, I'm not collapsing on the couch like I used to. Like, I go out and I'll play with my kids. You know, I'm doing more jobs around the house. Like, it's really changes people's lives, which is what inspires us. It has to be just improving morale in that I know I, I, I have a very difficult job and now my boss has come out and given me something that makes my life better. But also... The, we talk uh, and you used to talk about the mind versus the body and mind over matter and all that. But we now know that if my body's hurting, my brain is thinking about that, even in the background all the time. So when you have somebody tired, they're going to have pick errors, much higher pick errors. I mean, that's just, that's what humans do. We're good to a point. You're good in the morning when you're fresh, not so good at eight o'clock at night. And this same with our workers. We expect them to be, we're in a lot of ways, these people are being treated like a piece of machinery, like a machine that doesn't make mistakes. But by the way, I, I've also just recently saw this, that I'm moving my hand here for those who are listening to the podcast, is that we are probably still decades away from ha having a machine that can replicate our ability to pick. And you know, we, we can create machines that do all sorts of things, but we can't get the thing to say, Okay, pick the right color, pick, pick the right number with our hands that are, our hands are a miracle. It's going to be hard to replicate those. So we're going to be in this business as humans for a bit. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've talked to a lot of the leading innovation and automation leaders for some of these biggest you know, companies in the world who are saying, you know, hey, it's my job to fully automate our entire supply chain. And it's going to be at least 20 years. Like I hear that over and over again. So yeah, we're, you know, for better, or for worse, we're going to be, you know, stuck with people moving heavy boxes for quite a long time. And so if we can help make their job a little bit easier, it's, uh, we can hopefully do our part to help on that process. Yep. Before we hit record, you were telling me that there's, we all want to automate, but automation brings good and bad. Talk about what, of course I know good. What about the bad? Why is it bringing bad? Yeah, yeah the, bad, the bad is really because now you're boosting the pick rate for that worker. So if I'm, so if you're no longer riding that pallet jack from pick to pick to pick, you're, you're not on that pallet jack long, but it's a little bit of a respite before I got to hop off and move that next, you know, box onto the pallet. If now instead the robots are bringing the pallets to you, there's no break. You just have to keep lifting and lifting and lifting. And so you can boost productivity by doing that, but it's going to catch up to you in terms of injuries. And we have 
absolutely seen that. And I mean, you can see that as well with, with groups like Amazon talking about having to reduce their injury rates, et cetera. And so, you know, we see an opportunity to actually work in conjunction with automation technology by helping those workers, if it's going to be brought to them, like, let's give them something that can help them work longer without hurting. Yeah, that's the best. I just finished the book, um, Arriving Today by Christopher Mims. He's a technology writer for the Wall Street Journal. And he talked quite a bit about Amazon fulfillment locations. And some of them are super, super high tech. Those are the ones you see on YouTube. But there's a lot of them that are still very dependent on people. And there are decades away and they're probably the leader in this fit one of the leaders in this space and they are decades away from having everything be that and also not not just it's not just the technology it's the massive investment so there's we're a long way from getting away from uh good old-fashioned human beings wandering around and we're <laughs> so um one other thing i want to talk about is you guys have learned a lot we talked a little bit this before we hit uh, record. What have you learned in the last few years about this job and th this product? Yeah. So we've been doing implementations with clients for about three years now, and we've found to be successful with this type of technology, the product itself has to hit kind of three things. And then I'll, I'll talk more about the, the psychosocial stuff in a minute. But the three things are one, the super easy one, at least in our mind is like, you got to provide assistance. If you're not helping to offload the back, what's the point? So that's that's table stakes. The second is it's got to be really easy to use to so that discussion we had about putting right. on your shoes versus like, how do you put on this exosuit? Um, and that's actually a, a difficult to design a product that somebody's not familiar with that can be pretty easy to use. Um, and then third is it's got to be comfortable all day long. And that includes like the fact that you know, you're putting forces through the suit. It can't be uncomfortable on the body. It can't slide around and cause chafing. And it also includes things like thermal comfort. Like you have another layer on your body. You can't be getting too hot because these are hot, sweaty jobs in non-air conditioned environments. So oh, most boy. of our design work and our R&D has been around the ease of use and the all day comfort. Like how do you make this in the smallest possible package, minimize the surface area in the body so that a worker can keep it on during their, you know, 10 minute break sit down comfortably, hop onto a forklift comfortably, right. et cetera. And it just becomes something that's transparent to them. And it's just part of what they do. Like they put on a high vest, this vest, like it should be that transparent. The other thing that's really interesting, and this goes back a little bit to the adoption question you had is, is there's this like psychosocial component. So we had in the early days, we had a lot of clients who sort of said, Hey, give me, give me one or two. I'm going to, I'm going to try this out. Right. And then if I like it, you know, we'll get more. And what we found is this is like, uh, Joe, if you and I were to go to, let's say we go to a networking event. Right. Mm -hmm. But now you've got to wear a bright pink Mohawk wig. Okay. <laughs> might be an, like, might be an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> How are you going to feel in that scenario? Right. You're, you're going to feel awkward. You're going to have people teasing you. You're going to, because it's not a normalized thing. And so, an exosuit, if you've got one exosuit in a warehouse, I can guarantee you it will fail because of those psychosocial factors. But now you and I go to the same networking event. We both have crazy wigs on and everybody there has crazy wigs on. Now it's a party, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great analogy. <laughs> 
I went to the I went to the craziest party. <laughs> <laughs> so so now it's what we really do now is we usually start with you know it's twenty five or fifty units. You know it is a yeah. significant percentage of the people you have in that warehouse who are working in that exosuit. And what happens is the culture just flips. And it becomes now if I've got, you know, 30% of my workforce outfitted in those, they're now sort of a team and everybody else wants in. Hey, when do I get one of those, boss? Right. Right. And it flips it over. So that was another like non-intuitive learning that we had to come to through this process as well. So your first product is, and I won't ask you to give me trade secrets here, but your first product is for the back. So you obviously saw that as the biggest problem. And I'm think that probably would be because the leaning that we do. Oh, by the way, you also gave me a stat earlier before we hit record that a very high percentage of people do jobs that are that could benefit Yeah, so we, when we were digging into this space, that was one of the first things I did was just a big market analysis. So we dug through Bureau of Labor Statistics data and we found 30% of employed Americans' primary job task is lifting and leaning tasks and they're at high risk of back injury. One so that third. is Whoa. 50 million. That's 50 million Americans. It is shocking number. We tend to think most of us listening to this podcast, I think not all of them, but uh, either sitting in a truck or sitting at a desk, not a lot of, you know, the, our biggest problem is not getting enough exercise. But again, we're forgetting that there's a, there's a big world out there that we depend on, which is the warehouse workers, the truck drivers, the port port people who, who do the hard work. Well, when you're driving when you're driving home today or around, you know, later this week, start start thinking about it in that perspective and you'll start seeing these jobs everywhere. You know, the guy pulling the the kegs out of the truck and into the into the bar, you know, the grocery deliveries, the the roofer up on uh, you know, doing construction work. I mean, it's just it's everywhere. And so that's our so that for me was just, it's a slam dunk. You start on the back because it is such an issue around the world. And you first, you nail that. I do expect that there are going to be different exos that we will be introducing that are going to be application specific. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, what is some other, you don't have to talk about the product, but what is, what after the back, what is the biggest human failing when it comes to being a perfect warehouse worker? <laughs> well, yeah, well, we'll, yeah, Let's I'll talk kind of both because we're definitely still, we're definitely still, we're going to be focused on the back for quite a while because I think there's such huge opportunity, but we will definitely have a product line for different applications. So like a defense application has different needs, right? They, our army guys have to wear a ballistic vest on top of the suit. It has to integrate with cargo pockets You've got different, you know, color constraints and durability constraints, et cetera. So it's a different form factor with the same key technology. And you can think about something very similar for healthcare workers, for construction workers, et cetera. So so we have a long, you know, road to go just in the back. But if, you know, we're talking more broadly about exo technologies, there there are exo, and this is not us, but there's other exo companies that build, for example, support for above head work. So you think about somebody building airplanes, an electrician building airplanes at Boeing, right? And they're up doing the electronics on an airplane wing all day, every day with their hands above their head. There's technologies that basically help to lift their, their elbows up and hold them up uh, so they can do that work with less uh, shoulder strain. Oh, yeah. So many applications. Yeah, there, there's a lot of little subsets. Even They even have like thumb 
thumb exoskeletons for people uh, that do like meat cutting, right? Because they end up getting all these sort of thumb, t- thumb tendonitis issues. So there's uh, there's neck exos, there's knee exos, etc. So we'll we'll sort of from as a company perspective, we'll start in the back, but we'll continue to look for applications for expansion down the road. But it's it's definitely coming. The rise uh, the rise of exos. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine, and his daughter's a nurse, and I said. I know tons of nurses by the time they're in their fifties, if they don't have an administrator job, they're like, oh, I'm dying. I, I, I never gave it a second thought when I was 20, 30, 40, but now I'm, I feel like all day walking all day on my feet, they have back problems. They have leg problems. They have feet problems. And my mother who's in her eighties, my mom said, Oh yeah. What back in the day, my mom worked at the hospital. She said, you couldn't wear comfortable shoes at the hospital. I'm like, Oh my God. Now everyone's, by the way, I'm going to a little plug here for transportation marketing and sales association. I'm going to that conference in Savannah and it's in June. And I was like, I'm bringing Hoka's there. I'm wearing my, I'm wearing my running shoes because and in the olden days, not so long ago, I would go, oh no, I gotta wear I gotta wear work shoes. I, I don't care if I don't care if my feet are screaming all day long. Now I think most of the people there will be wearing comfortable shoes. The world is changing and we we recognize that you can't keep abusing your body like this at work. And by the way, once you hurt your back, I heard some doctor say this. He said, You will never see a really old man with a bad back. And he said, because if you hurt your back, you don't exercise. You don't walk around. You might start abusing drugs or alcohol because you're constantly in pain. And so these are not just like, oh, well, I hurt my back and I'll get better. No, you might. that might be something that causes your premature death. That's, that's how bad this can get for people. Yeah. And I mean, a, a previous back injury is the biggest predictor for a future back injury. Once you, once you hurt it, it doesn't just go away. Like you're going to be much more likely for something to come up in the future. Our ancestors should have never started walking on our hind legs like that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Mark, I love what you're doing. This is great. What I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. I'll put a link to your uh, website and any other links you and your marketing team give me. I'll put those in the show notes. And I like to interview smart, interesting people like you. We're killing it in the space. Who else should I interview? Yeah, I think I think a really interesting person to chat with would be Andy Johnson. He's one of the innovation leads at Geodis and has done a lot of recent work with uh, with AMR technology. And AMR is a- autonomous. Yeah, mobile robotics. I believe I'm probably going right. to end up okay. butchering that. He'll <laughs> have to correct me at a later. <laughs> so those are okay. So it's a, the but we're using more and more of those on, autonomous, and I love it. So you said. I always I'll call them Geodis. I don't know if that's Geodis. Yeah, they like they like because Geo is, you know, for the globe. So Geodis. Geodis? Okay. All right. Well, yeah, if you introduce me, because Andy Johnson is not an easy name to find on LinkedIn. So please introduce me and I'd love to interview him. And um, what conferences will we see you guys at? Yeah, we're going to be over at the National uh, Safety Council conference in October and then uh, manifest. In, uh, I was at manifest year. last year and I'll be there next year. I love Excellent. it. Excellent. We'll see you there. We'll throw you in an exosuit. <laughs> well, I love it. I do really, I, I can see, foresee a future not so long from now where 
it will be normalized. And we didn't talk about this, but we are getting older. I'm one of the younger baby boomers and we want to stay mobile. And if you say, hey, we give you this and you wear this and this will help you keep walking. Great. If you can uh, add a few more years of walking for people. Hallelujah. There's so many great applications. That's a long-term vision, Joe. I want one of these in everybody's garage because at the end of the day, it's like everybody's either you know in the garden, <laughs> they're wrenching on their car, they're moving their kids into college, whatever it may be. It'd be nice to have one of these, use it like a tool, right? Throw it on when you need it, leave it in the garage when you don't. Mark, I want one of those, and it's not really an ectos, ectos suit, but it's the guys that what they had at Avatar, that robot that they got in. That's what I want. So you <laughs> yeah. guys keep working. You're a little ways away. <laughs> <laughs> Price point might go up, uh, add a few zeros on the end of that one, but uh, <laughs> I'll let you know. Well, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate you taking the time because I love what you're doing. And again, I, I feel like this is one of the first times I've talked to somebody who's actually addressing this problem. And it is, we all know just because we're humans that this is a big problem. Awesome. Thanks so much, Joe. It was great chatting with you. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.